0: For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message.
1: Amen. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word... Let me invite you to turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, as we continue to walk together through this book. And I don't know about you, but I have been greatly encouraged, um, much needed reminder of who the church is and not only who the church is, but ultimately that God is in charge in the midst of uh, difficult circumstances, because we see a couple of things Throughout the book of Acts that are just kind of this back and forth motion, if you will. On the one hand, we see great resistance to the gospel each and every week. We've seen a passage where something happens and someone rises up against the apostles or the church. um, And ultimately, they're resisting the move of the gospel and the mission of the church. And so we see great resistance throughout the book. But then on the other hand, on the other side of the coin, we see great resilience from the church over and over again so that the gospel ultimately cannot be stopped and the mission of the church ultimately goes on. And I'm thankful that for 2000 years plus that the story has been the same. Amen. Each and every era of the church, there has been a time where there's been resistance to the mission of the church, to God's gospel. And yet, and yet this mission continues so that you and I sit here this morning, having having heard the gospel and believed and been saved. And that is just an amazing move of a sovereign God for over 2000 years. And I'm incredibly grateful. I hope that you are. So as we walk through this book, my goal has been to remind you just to simply not quit. To encourage you week after week that even amidst weird times, uh, chaotic circumstances, various executive orders and decisions made by local and state and national governments, the gospel goes on, the mission goes on, and we must not quit. I don't know about you, but the phrase that we keep hearing over and over continues to give me hope and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly because no matter how much the resistance to the church grows, the church continues to be resilient in the face of opposition. I don't know how many of you have been following the story of John MacArthur and Grace Community Church um some a couple of weeks ago, I, I mentioned to you the story and the the verdict that went down against John MacArthur, not just him, but other churches and a uh, warning not to gather in large groups. And uh, the elders of Grace Community Church met and decided underneath uh, the direction of the Holy Spirit that it was time to begin to meet again, uh, that the threat of the virus was no longer there in their area, and they felt led of the Lord to defy that order from the government, seeing it as a a direct attack against the church. As I understand it, over the last couple of weeks, there's been several letters exchanged and some court cases and some hearings that have happened. And I don't know if you've been following it, but the church actually filed a lawsuit against Governor Newsom seeking to prohibit California from enforcing its unconstitutional and onerous coronavirus pandemic regulations against the church. Of course, we know in California, others in California were allowed to meet, and churches seemingly had a particular vendetta against them. Well, shortly afterward, Los Angeles County filed for a temporary restraining order against the church To force them from meeting indoors. And you might have heard throughout uh, the last couple of weeks uh, some threats to turn off power and water and other things. Well, that did not happen. And you'll be happy to know that Judge James Chalfant, I guess is how it's pronounced, denied almost all of the county's requests on August the 14th this past week. They denied that they could uh, have any kind of restrictions against the church there in California. And they declared it to be unconstitutional because it did not protect the rights of churches to the free exercise of religion. Praise God for that. Amen. In our country, Well the attorneys of Grace Community Church argued that Los Angeles County was being unreasonable as they were. And now there will be another Court hearing MacArthur responded to the court's ruling in this way. I am thankful for Dr. MacArthur's response. He said, I am very grateful and the court has uh, I'm very grateful the court has res- has allowed us to meet inside and we are happy for a few weeks to comply and respect what the judge has asked of us. By the way, he asked them to socially distance inside what the judge has asked of us because he is allowing us to meet This vindicates our desire to stay open and serve our people. This also gives us an opportunity to show that we are not trying to be rebellious or unreasonable, but that we will stand firm to protect our church against unreasonable, unconstitutional restrictions. And to that, no matter where you stand on their decision to close or open to that, I say praise God because it is a victory for religious freedom in our country. And yet something should cause us to hang there for a moment. Because even in the decision and even in what's taking place, it is not an isolated issue. This is something that's happening across our country. And of course, it is something that is happening all over the world. Persecution against those that stand for the gospel because of the gospel itself. They happen all over the world, but normally they don't happen here, right? It don't happen in America. This is the place of religious freedom. We stand for religious freedom. We believe in that. And yet it seems like that these kinds of things are becoming normalized across our country. And should at least it should at least give us pause, especially as we consider the impending election in November. Maybe this is normal across the world, but it's not normal for America or perhaps for us. It's a new normal. Nothing will stop the gospel. Listen to this carefully. Nothing will stop the gospel in our country. And yet the gospel threats in our country will also not stop. The mission goes on, but not without some level and maybe increasing levels of suffering among believers. So I ask this question as we approach Acts 14. What if the threats to religious liberty that, by the way, produce such outrage among believers, are actually one of the very pathways through which God has intended that the gospel spread. And what if the absence of religious persecution from young America in years gone by was simply a short reprieve from that which is perhaps a more normal part of following Jesus in a a fallen world. So let's ask that question this morning, shall we, as we look at Acts chapter 14. If you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 14, we will read verses 1 through 23 this morning. The Bible says that now at Iconium... But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked when he listened to Paul speaking. Rather, he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made. Well, said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he sprang up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian. The gods, have made, the gods have come down to, to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowds, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you and bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they persuaded the crowds, they, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, He rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to to that city and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed themselves to the Lord in whom they had believed. Lord, we commit ourselves now to you in whom we have believed. And we ask that as we hear the preaching of your word, as we hear from your word this morning, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. That Holy Spirit, you would come and be our teacher God, that we would see wondrous things in your word, that we would believe the things that we see, that you would speak to us clearly, and God, that we would obey you and what you call us to. God, help us to see what is this Christianity that we adhere to and what it requires of us. And I pray, God, that it would not turn us away, but rather That we would be drawn in this morning to the gospel fresh and new. If there's someone here that's never trusted in Christ, maybe listening in our online audience. God, that you would call them to repentance and faith that they would believe. And we'll commit these things to you now, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. And so let me just set the stage for you. If you weren't here with us last week or maybe you've slept since then, like me, you have a short uh, term memory loss. Uh, Remember, last week, Paul and Barnabas are at Antioch of Pisidia. It's a different Antioch than the, uh, the Antioch that they came from. They set sail from Antioch and ultimately landed the middle of their journey in Antioch. And we saw that they proclaimed the gospel there in the synagogue. Both Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles who, by the way, were Jewish converts, were there in the synagogue and they were so fascinated with what Paul and Barnabas had to say uh, that they wanted them to come back the very next Sabbath and teach again and hear this gospel yet again. And we said that it it requires more than just simple interest in order to be saved, that we must believe the gospel. And very clearly in that story, they had not yet believed the gospel Nonetheless, later on, some did, in fact, believe, but not before a great persecution arose against Paul and Barnabas from the Jews that were there, because as they're proclaiming this gospel, it was a threat to the Jews, especially when they heard and were reminded of from their own scriptures that they were to be a light to the Gentiles and that Gentiles were to come to faith in Jesus. And this was the whole purpose for which they were called out, chosen of God in order to in order to bring about the Messiah and be a light to the Gentiles. And so we read that there at the end of chapter 13. And it says that when the Gentiles heard this in verse 48, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. There, verse 50 is where the Jews incite these women to come against them, men to come against them, and they stir up persecution, ultimately driving them out of the land. Verse 51 says that they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium, and that's how they end up here at the beginning of verse 14. So as we, I mean, chapter 14. So as we turn to chapter 14, what we find is the disciples are there at Iconium, but like a fast paced movie, right? As you're watching kind of an action film, it moves from story to story to story to story without giving a lot of detail about what took place at these places. And any time you see that in a narrative, it should be a clue for you to know that there's something greater that's coming. There's some lesson to be learned from not just one event, but from these collection of events together. And in each place in this story at Iconium, Lystra and then Derby, we see resistance and then ultimately resilience. We see it over and over again. So just to survey for you for a moment what that looks like. Acts chapter 14, verse 1 says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. People are still believing the gospel despite the persecution. You see it again in verse 8 and following. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Verse 9 says that he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking and presumably put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The very same faith that led to healing is the same faith that led to salvation. Verse 21, same story or the the same idea when they had preached the gospel to that city, namely to Derby, and had made many disciples. All the persecutions happening and on the other rail of this track, people are still coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Verses 21, 22, they returned to Lystra and Iconium. And to Antioch and strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. In other words, at Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, despite all of the persecution, people were still coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That's good news. Amen. Through all of that persecution, there was no doubting that people were going to be trusting in Jesus because the gospel could not be stopped. Again, despite rising resistance, there was a spreading resilience To the gospel. But that does not happen. Without significant suffering. In the passage. We see some very significant suffering moments. And I ask the question. Does this text have something to tell us about the relationship. Between the church and suffering. To ask the question again. What if the threats to religious liberty for us like these disciples were intended to produce pathways for spreading the gospel? What if the absence of religious persecution for us in young America was simply a short reprieve from that which is perhaps a normal part of following Jesus in a fallen world? Well, let's see if we can determine the answer to that from this passage. There are... Essentially, three scenes in the text, and we're going to walk through those together. Scene number one at Iconium, scene number two at Lystra, and scene number three at Derby. And in each of these scenes, we're left without any real resolution. You'll notice that. It seems that the gospel is spreading and yet the hanging idea, the hanging influences, the persecution in each and every one of these scenes. And so that's how we will approach it. And I think that when we get to the end, you'll get what Paul is trying to tell us and what God would have us to hear this morning. And so scene number one, scene number one, Iconium. What you find here is deceitful leadership. Leadership. And a divided crowd. Deceitful leadership and a divided crowd. And yet the gospel is still believed. An amazing picture. So verses 1 through 7, look at it with me this morning. Verse 1 says that now at Iconium, this area is Konja. It is the Turkish city that was in the first, second, third century time frame known as Iconium. No longer known as that today, but there was a Jewish synagogue there as there was at most areas in the day. And as Paul normally did, he started there in the synagogue. And so verse one says that they entered into the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. The question that we should ask there, that you should ask, is what in fact did they believe? And that may seem like a strange question if you grew up in church. But if you grow, if you're growing up in postmodern America, it's a very important question, isn't it? It's not enough that we just are believers. We must, in fact, determine and define what it is that we believe. And it's kind of alluded to throughout the passage. But when you get to the end, it's explicit, isn't it? Verse seven. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So what is it that? We must believe in order to be saved. What is it that made the difference between those in, uh, in Iconium that, that were saved and those who were stirring up all of the trouble and ultimately who were condemned? The difference in their lives was whether or not they believed the gospel. And to believe the gospel is not just simple interest. We've seen that. We saw it last week. To believe it here in this text is not interest. It is to give your life. It is to surrender your life at the foot of the cross, to trust in Jesus with everything that you are and not just to believe upon Jesus in order to be forgiven of your sins and go to heaven, but to ultimately surrender to building your entire life on who Jesus is as his spirit fills you and empowers you and enables you to live out the life that he created you for to begin with. You see, every one of us has rebelled against God. We've all turned in sin. And the only hope that we have of forgiveness is Jesus Christ. It's the only way of salvation. And so they believed. They believed. There are some who believed the gospel. There is a need for genuine saving faith. And I think there's a need today to define that clearly. We're altogether confused about what it means to be a Christian. Unfortunately, it's all too often a social label more than it is anything else. But to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, is to surrender your life, everything that you are, to Jesus Christ. Lay it all on the line and become a follower of Jesus. See, the only way to receive Jesus as Savior, listen, church, is to receive him as Lord as well. He must be master. He must be master because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so some of them here at Iconium did believe that, but others did not and verse 2 says that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. If you don't think that's happening today, you are deceived, friends. The world is poisoning the minds of people against the gospel. The enemy would have nothing, that would make the enemy no happier than to poison the world against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it says that deceitful leaders are stirring up opposition, poisoning their minds against those who are leading out in the gospel. Don't be surprised when you encounter persecution because the minds of this world are poisoned to the gospel. It takes, as Brother Tony, as we were this morning in a passage, it takes God opening our eyes to see, right? It takes a divine miracle for us to know our need for the gospel, so it says that they then, after they poison their minds, that the city becomes divided. So the, the disciples remain there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. Kind of sounds like a scene from American politics, Right. Some on one side of the fence and some on the other side of the fence. Except in this case, it was some were believing and some not. And so it says that not only did they divide and pick sides, that they went after their lives. Verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe. So these two cities they went to as a result of The persecution never may never have happened apart from them being driven out of the city. And what did they do in those two cities? They continued to preach the gospel. But the scene ends with persecution, which leads us to scene number two, scene number two. And so we come to Lystra. We come to Lystra and it begins in verse eight. Lystra, we have the story of a broken man. And an idolatrous people, and yet God heals, and God is God alone. Demonstrates those two things. So, the story at, at Lystra is similar to one that we've seen before. Do you remember the story of Peter and John there in Acts chapter three at the gate called Beautiful? Do you remember the story? Anybody? You remember the story? Okay, beggars there at the gate. uh, They happen upon this beggar at the hour of prayer as they're coming to the temple. And Peter looks at this man and says, rise and walk. And he's healed and he runs in with joy. We don't have as much detail here in this passage. And I I think that there is a reason for that. It's recounted in brief. A couple of reasons, in fact. I think for us, as we're reading the narrative, it should rekindle in our minds what happened in Acts chapter 3. And we should see this as a similar event. As Luke is writing this narrative, he wants it to kind of cause us to hearken back to that story. But then I think that there is a second reason we have brevity here. And that is because we're not intended to land on this, but to see rather the great persecution that rose up as a result. Verse 8 tells us that in Lystra there was a man sitting there who could not use his feet, and Paul, and, and Paul says to him, stand up right on his feet. He's healed. But in verse 11, it says that when the crowd saw what what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, sang in Lycaonian, which is really interesting because they're saying in their native tongue, this kind of worship chant. So it's a Greek mythology kind of Picture right, we see these gods, and they think that Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, must be the incarnation of these Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. Of course, the one being chief over the other, um, and the temple standing there at the entrance of the city. I mean, this is ripe with a, a picture of, of idolatrous worship. And so this picture of idolatry, they begin to worship these two men, although they should never have done that to begin with, but not even worshiping them as the ones that they truly were, but rather worshiping them as Greek gods. And so this move of God to raise a man off of his his crippleness is turned toward a man centered kind of teaching. The apostles are are upset. They come out in verse 14 and they stand against these people crying out, don't worship us. Men, why are you doing these things? And they make this incredible statement that should resound even here this morning. We also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn away from these vain things to a living God and not just any living God, but the very one who made the heavens and the earth. His call to them is you turn away from those gods. They do not sit on any throne. Jesus alone sits on the throne. You turn to the living God and be saved today. And this should be the outcry of every church. We don't worship gods made with human hands. It's where we once were when we exchanged the the creator for the creature and worshipped What God has made rather than the God who made all things. And the call of the gospel is to turn away from these things to the living God. That's what the beggar did. And that's why he received life and healing. But it ends there. These people don't come to faith in Jesus. Verse 18 says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. They couldn't stop them. I mean, can you imagine being in a place and preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, singing Jesus, this beautiful name, and then having pagan worship happening unstoppable before your very eyes? And so people from uh, Iconium heard about it. They came. And what happens? It leads us to scene number three. Scene number three, at derby. And at Derby. They're stoned and left for dead just before Derby, what's leading up to, yet the gospel lives and multiplies. They're stoned and left for dead, especially Paul is the one we're told, very possibly the others, and yet the gospel lives and multiplies. So, verse 19 the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. See the carryover there. It's like the story's building on itself, coming to a new Thing that we're to hear something he's leading up to and the emphasis there is again not on the victories but on the persecution And having persuaded the crowds the Bible says in verse 19 they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead and they left him there by God's grace he lived through it I don't know about you I wouldn't have wanted to live through it that's, that's torture right I, I just go ahead and kill me at that point Paul's not ready to die. He wants to take the gospel to the nations. And so the disciples come out and they care for him and they encouraged him. It says in verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. By the way, he's entering, it seems in the text, back into Lystra, maybe the outskirts there, finding some place of rest for the night because the very next day, the very next morning, he goes on to Derby. And so it looks like that the disciples have gathered around their fellow believer. We talked about this this morning, caring for one another. There's a word for us there. Their perseverance, the disciples' perseverance through persecution was not only rooted in their trust in God, but ultimately in their uniting together. There's a togetherness about the gospel And so we know that after that, after that evening, he rises the next morning and he goes on. Paul goes on to Derby. And what happened at Derby? Well, we don't know a lot about what happened at Derby. The Bible tells us that there he began to preach the gospel. Um, And what happens later, we see kind of a window back into Derby, Derby and Lystra, that uh, Timothy was from this area. Uh, we know that he would return, Paul would return to Lystra and Derby in Acts chapter 16. He would pick up, the, uh, pick up the young Timothy and take him along with him. And it seems that maybe at the first preaching of Paul there in Derby that young Timothy came to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time. In fact, it would seem that Timothy kind of followed Paul in his ministry. Maybe not, maybe even when they weren't together. Because when you go and you read some of those letters, when you read from, from Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, listen to what it says. Listen to this. Verse 10, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Notice verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. At Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And here Paul makes an incredibly important point that leads us to the end of our text. He says in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, there's there's the story of Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, isn't it? But actually, that's the story of Christians right now in America. It seems to be going from bad to worse. And so there just before... Derby, Paul is stoned and left for dead, but miraculously, the very next day, he keeps preaching the gospel. The gospel goes on, doesn't stop. But none of that happens at the discount of the suffering that's happening, happening in 23 verses back to back to back to back. You you can't look at Acts chapter 14 and ignore those two things, the suffering of the church. And the success of the gospel. And so as we get to the end, verse 21 says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And notice this, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Why? And saying that through many tribulations, we must Enter the kingdom of God. And so they appoint leadership there. They commit them to the Lord in whom they had believed. See, Paul is speaking to the very believers that had not only watched him fight this fight of suffering. Through divisive leadership, divided crowds, angry mobs, rebellious idolatry. Total spiritual darkness in that idolatry. The threat of his life through stoning. They had in a sense, and in reality, they had experienced the suffering of Paul with him. And Paul doesn't come back to, to, to Lystra and Iconium. He doesn't come back to Antioch with the message let me tell you how you can live your best life now. Instead, he comes back to Iconium, telling them through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Three key words. Tribulations, many and must. Tribulations, meaning pain, suffering, hardship. It's not going to be easy. Many. They're going to be constant, regular, normal, and must. There is no other choice. All who desire to live godly in Christ must suffer persecution. In other words, gospel success is directly related to this suffering in the world. Missional effectiveness has with it, inseparable from it, this component where we're going to suffer in the world. If the gospel is going to spread, then the church is going to suffer. And the absence of religious persecution from young America, then does in fact appear to be simply a short reprieve from that which is a normal part of following Jesus. In a fallen world. But the theme of suffering is not the only theme in the passage, is it? In this final part of the passage, we see him encouraging the church, strengthening the church, devoting it to the church. We see a call to the church to remain devoted, remain faithful, continue to believe, keep devoting yourself to the Lord. Do you see it? Both with the person... With the persecution and all that's happening, going along with that, what we see is a continuing, unstoppable, unshakable faithfulness in the church. God, who had been faithful to them, was now calling them to be faithful to him. And so while persecution is growing, faithfulness must also remain proportionately. We must not stop. We must never quit. We can never throw in the towel because we have a God who has been eternally faithful to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so what is what is Paul saying? Prepare to have pain? (laughs) Not at all. Paul is telling the church that we must remain faithful and the God who is faithful will cause His gospel to prevail even through many tribulations. When I heard the story of John MacArthur, the very thir- first thought on my mind is, when, O Lord, will it come here? It's my very first thought. My second thought was, God give me the grace to stand when the time comes. Yes, we need him. We need him. Do we have a gospel that's worth standing for? The blood of Jesus shed for us—is it worth? Is it worth our total surrender? Is the Son of the living God who became a servant and died on the cross of Jesus Christ when Jesus died for us, is that Savior worth our ultimate stand for Him? Then we must ask the question, when? When, Lord? There is a call to action here. There is a call to the church to continue in faith. As Paul called the church there, remain faithful There's a call to us to encourage and strengthen one another, isn't there? Even as the disciples rallied around Paul, there's a call for the church to rally around one another. To pray for one another. They prayed for them, strengthening them. There's a call for the church to trust in leadership and for leadership to give the instruction that is necessary for a gospel that driven people to live in a gospel hating world so that people come to faith in Jesus as the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit moves upon their hearts. And there's a call at the very end of the passage to devote ourselves to the very one in whom we've believed. the one who in whom we've believed said these words, John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? With every head bowed, every eye closed. The call upon us as the church is clear. We must remain faithful. We must. For some of you, you say, I'm right there with you, Pastor. We've got to stand. Now is the time to stand. Praise God for you, believer. Stand with humility. Stand with firmness. But stand. Some of you this morning are tempted to waver. We must remain faithful. Now is not the time to quit. And we've got to do it together. We need one another, church. We need one another's strength as we rely upon Jesus. And we need to pray for one another. And we need to trust in leadership that God has given. And I need your prayers. Our deacons need your prayers. We need wisdom. And would you pray? Would you pray for your leadership? And we must devote ourselves to the One who gave His life for us. So church, it is time to stand. But we must face what is coming. Others of you in this room, you might say, you know what, pastor, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> you talk about all this persecution. That's not for me. Why follow Jesus? Jesus if it's going to be so hard? Here's why. Because this momentary light affliction is producing for us a far greater weight in glory. And you could trade glory for pleasure in this world, but ultimately you will inherit the destruction of eternity and the choice is yours. Either today you follow Jesus and be saved from all of that, And get the joy of sharing in his sufferings and walking with him and knowing him. Or you choose to deny him like all of those who denied him in this text and spend forever separated from God. And so the choice is yours. In just a few moments, we're going to stand together. The gospel has been preached and given to you this morning that Jesus came to this world to save sinners. He gave his life for you. And if you would put your faith in him, not some casual faith, but surrender everything that you are to Jesus today, you'll be saved if you'll simply follow Jesus. So here's what we'd like to invite you to do in just a few moments. When we stand together, this altar is going to be open. Maybe you'd like to come down here and pray. Maybe there's other decisions on your heart. Or maybe today you want to follow Jesus with your life. I want to encourage you right where you're standing to step out of the place where you'll be standing. Come down this aisle and say today, Pastor, I want to be saved. Would you help me? And I'll lead you to Jesus. Jesus alone who can save you. Others of you have other decisions to be made. I'll be here. If you need to pray with somebody, we've got others who'd love to come and pray with you. Um, as you make decisions and following Jesus with your life in various areas. Would you stand with me all across this room? Let's pray together. Lord. Have Your way in our hearts and in this place, God. We ask for the freedom of Your Spirit to move us today. We ask, God, that You would do Your will and Your work in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stephanie Plays, you come this morning.
0: You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Dot com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.